The reading this morning will be taken from John 11, verses 38 through 40. John 11, 38 through 40. It's going to be found on page 952 in the few Bibles in front of you. I'll be reading from the King James Version. Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone, Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead for four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being here. It encourages us by you being here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Uh, be sure and be back tonight. Our young men will lead our service tonight, and they worked hard preparing lessons, and they want to lead us in worship. And what a blessing it is. If there's, you know, we travel all over uh, the world, literally, trying to grow Christians. We travel to Ukraine and El Salvador. Uh, we travel on stateside mission trips. We, we travel a lot of miles every year to grow Christians. And I don't know of any more Christians that we're more responsible to and for than for our young people here and growing them. And we're thankful that we have the opportunity uh, to give them this experience tonight. Not that we can showcase them and, and they can be a circus act so they can come together and lead us in worship. But what a wonderful experience it is for them. Let's make sure that, that we're prayerful about that this afternoon. And let's make sure that we're prayerful about this that we take serious our responsibility as a congregation, that we help individuals grow, especially as we think about growing our young people. There's an urban legend that has gone around for quite some time about sinking libraries. And you can just name almost a college campus, and it's probably been told about that college campus. It's the idea that an architect actually designed a building and he designed the building to be a library, but forgot to take into consideration the weight of the books. And so once it was built and the books were placed in, that the building began to sink one inch every year. Now, there's no proof that that's happened anywhere. But you can imagine why it's told. It's the idea, could someone literally go to work and work weeks and months designing a building that is a library and then forget the very purpose for which it's designed? Naturally, stories like that would continue to circulate because people would say, can you imagine how crazy that guy must have been? Can you imagine how he must have felt after it happened? Can you imagine people that live and forget their purpose for living? Can you imagine people that think really their purpose for living is to be a teacher? Oh, that's why I live. I live to be a school teacher. Can you imagine someone, oh, I live to be a social worker. Oh, I live to be a a husband or a wife or a, a parent. I live for my family. What a shame. Can you imagine how many people there are across America today that they really have built a life and don't know or either have forgotten the very purpose for life? There's a lot of good things we can involve our life. But friends, there's a calling that's so much higher than anything earthly that is the purpose of our life. If you would, I'd like for you to be turning with me 
to Psalm 16. And as we're turning to Psalm 16, I also would like for you to think with me of a quote from a book entitled Connecting by Larry Crabb. In this quote that I would say is just a tad bit wordy, he really makes an excellent point. Think with me as we read this together and especially notice how this quote closes. Desert experiences, those uncontrollable and unpredictable seasons in life when things that used to work just fine no longer work are good. In the hands of a gracious God, their purpose is to change the questions we ask. Rather than wondering if we're adequate to keep things together and reach our goals, we begin to hear ourselves ask the questions our heart has been whispering all along. I love my Lord. What can I give to His purpose? You know, it's so easy to think that we've got life figured out and, and, and we understand what life is all about and all, all and everything is right in line. It's like ducks in order. And then all of a sudden, one day, we wake up and we realize, really, what is it? Is everything I've invested in my life, it seems so important. Now it doesn't seem so important anymore. Now it seems just a little bit vain. Or now there's a tragedy or now there's some kind of situation that was totally unexpected. And what I thought was going to fully develop into a life well lived now seems that it's a life falling apart. What's the purpose of situations like that? And this writer says, you know, situations like that can be good because it can make us start asking different questions. And one of the questions we ought to always be willing to ask is how can I use my life for God's purpose. Not how can God serve me in my purpose. Now friends, that's just the crux of the matter. Please think about that. Do you view God as a God that ought to serve you in your purpose? Or do you view yourself as one that should serve God in His purpose? Listen to how the psalmist says it. Beautiful statement. As we read in the 16th chapter, notice verse 8 and 9. Psalm 16, verse 8. David says... I've set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. What a beautiful thought when we think about the first line there in verse 8. He says, the Lord is set always before him. David, when you go into battle, what, what's the purpose of your battle? I want to do battle the way the Lord wants to do battle. I know the battle belongs to the Lord. David, how are you going to lead this kingdom? I want to be a king and, and lead this kingdom in the way God wants me to lead this kingdom. David, how are you going to lead your family? I want to lead my family in the way God wants to lead my family. God's always before me. David, you goofed it. You sinned. You did some terrible things. What are you going to do? I want to come back to God because God is set before me. Yes, I've made mistakes, but I'm coming back. How are you going to come back? With God set before me. And then to point out that steadfastness, he says, God's at my right hand side. I'm not moving away from him. He's right there. You can find me here now. You can find me here next year. You can find me there in the past. You can find me there in the future. I'm staying with God. Now it's with that. Now notice the hearts, the deep inner desires. What do you want the most in your life? What is the greatest purpose that could be fulfilled in your life? That should be found in our heart. And notice he says, it's in that heart that I'll be glad. But now this to me is most interesting. Notice that next phrase in verse 9. And my glory rejoices. Well, what was David's glory? 
His glory, in other words, the purpose in his life was to have the Lord before him in everything. To stay with God at his right hand side. And now he says, that kind of life, I glory and I rejoice in that glory of that kind of life. Friends, this morning, we discuss and we study the glory of God. When you and I find our purpose in its fullest sense, we'll find that our purpose is to bring glory to God in all that we do. If I'm going to be a school teacher, I need to be a school teacher that brings glory to God. If I'm going to be a social worker or or one that works in accounting or architect or whatever it is, I need to do it in a way that brings glory to God. The way I interact with my co-workers or fellow students, I need to do it in a way that brings glory to God. What am I living to be? A family member? No. A family member that gives glory to God in the way that we live. God's always set before us. But in order to do this, we have to first pause and say... I need a little bit better understanding maybe of the glory of God. So if that's maybe what you're feeling right now, turn with me to Isaiah the 6th chapter. And let's look at just a couple of verses that would kind of lay out some thinking about the glory of God. Isaiah the 6th chapter is a beautiful writing where Isaiah is being called into uh, his ministry and he's shown a vision. And in this vision, he sees a glimpse of God that it ends up being by the seraphims a cry of glory to God. Now notice as we begin reading in Isaiah the 6th chapter, verse 1, 2, and 3. In the year of the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. Envision this. He's on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. Now it's talking about these seraphim. He says, and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Now notice here, it did not say the seraphims glorified God. Although we understand that that's what they did just then. They did glorify God, but it didn't say that. What did it say? The whole earth is full of His glory. Here's the point that that it just makes a difference in the way we understand it if we've missed this point. God is a glorious God. As a matter of fact, when Stephen was giving that powerful and last address that he would ever give in Acts the seventh chapter, he spoke to them and identified God as the God of glory. The point is this. God is glorious even if no one ever glorified Him again. Now you and I may receive glory from someone, but it's because they have glorified us and, and, and it's a part of our external being, if you will. In other words, intrinsically, we're not glorious. We're only glorious if someone shares it upon us or if we reflect it. But God is glorious. If... If God would have never made Adam and Eve, if God would have never created a heavenly host of angels and seraphims, He still would be glorious. His glory isn't dependent upon someone offering it to Him. He is glorious. And so when we understand that, then it helps us to understand in just a few minutes as we'll study our responsibility 
to reflect God's glory. Because the fact is, we have no glory in and of ourselves. Think with me, if you will, to John, the first chapter. You know, when God came to earth in the form of Jesus, we call that incarnation. When God came to earth and became flesh. You remember what John said in John 1, and then we'll skip down and link verse 14 to it. Notice what he said in John 1. He said, in the beginning was the Word. And that's talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now notice how this is explained in 14. And by the way, reading all the way down through 1 through 13, John never use the personal pronoun like we or I or my. And, and so he's for 13 verses, he's talking about Jesus and he's talking about uh, that Jesus is God and that, and, and that John the Baptist was a forerunner to make the way for Jesus. And it's all real factual. It's very beautiful. But notice how we get to 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now he's bringing it close to home. Now John is thinking in his mind when he first came to know Jesus. And notice what he says here. This is very powerful to understanding the topic this morning. And John says, And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Notice John did not say here, We gave Jesus glory. Wow, God came to earth through flesh. And we gave Him glory. Now they did give Him glory and honor. But that's not what he's recording here. John is telling us something about God on earth. John is saying, listen, when He came, we'd never seen the full measure of grace before. We'd never seen the fullness of truth before. And when He came, we had to stand back and we beheld His glory. What was it? The glory of the only begotten of the Father. Friends, when we see God, we see God who is a glorious God. Now, not to belabor a point, but let's look at one more passage, and then let's bring this around to application for us this morning, and then the lesson is ours to live. Look, if you will, now to John, the 11th chapter, the text that was read this morning so capably. Look in John, the 11th chapter, and, and you probably already recognize this text this morning, and, and it was the, uh, Jesus resurrecting his friend Lazarus. Remember, Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and he was close friends with all of them, and he's at quite a distance away, and he receives word that Lazarus is very sick. And before he returns to them, Lazarus ends up dying. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that God killed Lazarus just so a glorious event could take place. The Scriptures never teaches that. But we are going to see that in this passage, Jesus was determined from the very beginning to take this situation and teach a lesson about glory. The messengers came to him, and if you will, back up to the fourth verse, the 11th chapter. Notice what happens when the messengers came and said, the one whom you love is sick in verse 3, and look at 11 and, and 4. Then Jesus heard that, and he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So the messengers come, and the very first thing he says is, this is going to be an opportunity for my followers, and even for others, to see the glory of God. And again, I want to emphasize, he's not saying this is going to be an opportunity for them to glorify us. 
Although that would be the result of it, but the, Jesus is, is speaking here something we need to understand. We can't truly glorify God and live lives that glorify God until we understand God is a glorious God. And so He is teaching us about the glory of God, and then He says, may be glorified through it. Once we see the glorious God, then we can glorify Him. Now, you remember, He turns to His disciples, and He suggests to the disciples that they're going back to Judea. And remember, they said, whoa. You remember last time was there, they tried to stone you to death. Maybe we shouldn't go back. And He, he says, Lazarus, uh, it told the situation of Lazarus, but they understood it to be that Lazarus is sleeping. And He says, why are you going to risk your life if he's just sleeping. And then he had to clearly explain to them, and let's read in verse 14 and 15, he clearly explained to them in 14 and 15, Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe, nevertheless, let us go to him. So again, he says, listen, since it's happened, I'm glad now that that I wasn't there so that when you see what's going to happen, when you see this great resurrection, you're going to believe. And in a few minutes, we're going to see how he ties this believe into the fact that God is glorious and they recognize the glory of God and that caused them to believe even more. Now, you remember that Martha came out and ran to him when he first entered. Let's read this 23, 24, and 25. Notice again what he was trying to get her to believe. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. This was after she had just said, if you'd have been here, it wouldn't have happened. And look in 24, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at that last day. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He's wanting her to believe that he has power over the grave. He's wanting her to believe that he's the resurrection. And she has a concept of a belief of that in the end, but she can't even fathom the thought that he has power over the grave even right there. In the person, in the flesh right there. She can't fathom that thought. He's going to show her the glorious power of God. Now, if you will, skip down to 39 and 40. Jesus says, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench for he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see. The glory of God. John said, when he came to earth, full of grace and truth, we beheld his glory. Jesus looks over at Martha. A crowd is standing around. He says, remove the stone. He said, Jesus, you can't do that. It's a smell. It's been four days, Jesus. You're about to see the glory of God. What happens when we truly see and live for that glorious God? Look with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians, the third chapter. 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, we have a beautiful writing. The whole chapter is pretty much on one topic. This is the topic, this is the chapter where we read about Christ's covenant being greater than Moses' covenant. In other words, Moses was a messenger. And even though he had a glory 
about his face. You remember his face shone once he left the presence of God and he had to put a veil over his face. But Jesus is so much more glorious than that. And if we go back and try to live under the old covenant, we still have that veil over us. But under the new covenant, that veil is removed. And this covenant should be written in our hearts, not on tables of stone. See how he's bringing this glorious Savior, this glorious messenger, and he's bringing this glorious way into our heart. Now, let's notice verse 17 and 18. He says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. He says, listen, don't go back to Moses anymore. Stay with Jesus. Well, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to do that? He says, I want you to take Jesus and I want you to take his teachings. And I want you to look at it like a mirror. And he says, I want you to be reflective of his glory. Now, that's going to take transformation. We can become a new creature as we're baptized into Christ. But friends, then we're babes. We still have a lot of growing to do in order to be more like the glorious God tomorrow than what we were today. We ought to reflect the glory of God. How many of you have ever seen little toys and figurines that glow in the dark? And many of those, the way they're made... If you keep them in the dark for a long, extended period of time, they don't glow. And so you could bring them out of maybe a box that's been in the closet. And you could bring them out at night and you could set them in the child's room. And the child's going to be disappointed because it's still dark. But the next day, as that toy sets in light, then when night comes... Then it glows. Why? It has no source of light of its own. Friends, when it comes to glory, we have no source of our own being. All we can do is receive and accept the glory of God to look into that mirror and reflect that glory. How do we do it? Do you remember in Matthew the fifth chapter? Very early in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember he talked about us taking and living our life as a light. You see, that is leading us to the fact of glory. And you remember, we don't hide that light under a bushel. No. We put it up on a a candle stand and and we let the whole house see. or, Or we're like the city that's on a hill and we let all around us see. And you remember it's there that Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. When we live a life that reflects God's glory, then our service of good works to others should never be so they would glorify us. We ought to always reflect that glory back to the Father. In 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, I'd like to just quickly mention two more passages out of Corinthians. Remember 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter is where we're told to flee fornication. And the reason that we're doing that is because it's best. And the 
uh, motive behind that is that it's no longer our body. You know, if there's one sin that, that people will say, it's my body, I do what I want with it. And the Bible actually teaches in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, 19, and 20, hey, if you're a Christian, your body's not your own. So flee fornication. Well, why would we want to do that? Why would we want to live so differently from the world in, in areas like that? Notice what he says, For you are bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body. The very way we conduct ourselves, the very way we use our body, either brings glory to God or it doesn't. And we have to decide, are we going to belong to the Lord? And if we're going to belong to the Lord, are we going to use our body to glorify God? 1 Corinthians 10 and 31 this is a passage where the last half of this chapter, he's gone back again to talking about whether or not we could eat meats that had been offered to idols and then probably taken to the marketplace and sold. And the weaker brother struggling with that and the stronger brother saying, surely it's okay. But in all of this, notice what he says towards the end. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. How are you going to use your life? Are you going to demand that, hey, I want to eat this meat. There's nothing wrong with this meat. Even if it causes your brother to stumble, we can't say we're leading our brother or our sister to stumble to the glory of God. And so what he's saying is, you have a right to eat that meat. But don't eat that meat if it's going to cause the other to stumble. Because you can't eat that meat, cause the other to stumble, and glorify God. Our young people, they have... Such a uh, array of things that come about in, in our society today. You know, one of the regularly asked questions, I, I've, I'm asked this on a regular basis. What about piercings and tattoos? Well, you're not going to find a scripture that says in the New Covenant, don't have a tattoo, don't have a piercing. Well, what's the answer? Someone says, well, the Bible just doesn't say anything about it. Oh, yes, the Bible does. With every decision we have to make. How can I take my body and bring glory to God? If I can't bring glory to God with it, I better think long and hard. If I can't go into a job that I can do that job and bring glory to God, I better think about another job. If I can't live in that community and bring glory to God, I better find another community to live in. If I can't run with these friends and bring glory to God while running with these friends, I better find new friends. If I can't date this individual and bring glory to God, I better find someone else to date. How am I going to be the father, or the husband, the mother, or the, or the daughter, or the son, or the wife? What am I going to be in my family? The first and foremost, I need to be a family member that the way I live my life with others brings glory to God. A library that can't house books has lost its very purpose. A person that says, I want to follow God, but not glorify God in their life, has totally lost their purpose. This morning, it's not all cut and dry and black and white, but it does give us something to think about every day. Creation shows the glory of God. Moses, he shined, his face shined the glory of God. 
The temple was, Scripture says, was full of the glory of God. Jesus being incarnated showed us the glory of God's transfiguration, doing things in His name. God's glory has been manifested over and over and over. And now as we sing this song of invitation, there's one more question. Does your life show the glory of God? If you've never been baptized into Christ for mission of sins, this would be a wonderful morning to give God the glory for all things in submitting your life to Him. If you have been baptized into Christ and somewhere along the way you've lost the way, won't you come back and put first things first? Won't you come back and find your purpose for living? It's a blessing for all of us and we can be a blessing to each other when we're all remembering why we're here. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand.